0: Uh, This is 24 24 verses. We're going to look at all of it together today. If you were here the last couple of Sundays, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we looked at kind of a background check on Babylon. What is Babylon? Where did it come from? What does it develop into in the book of Revelation? I'm fascinated by it. I hope you have been too, how it just sweeps the entire Bible So we see the development of Babylon way back in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And then we see that develop over time as a nation, as a political movement, but also as a spiritual movement. And here in the book of Revelation now, a worldwide political, spiritual, economical, social movement. And the thing is, though, we can see how all of this is in play already today and has been in play. Uh, As Satan has moved kind of cultural issues, political issues, going in that direction, which we see the fulfillment of in Revelation. But remember, only three and a half years does Babylon rise to worldwide dominance, and then she is gone. And so that's what we were looking at last Sunday. Revelation chapter 17, the judgment of Babylon, and that continues on into the final judgment of Babylon here in Revelation 18. So a lot of information here, so we're not going to be able to kind of go through and, and uh, spotlight each verse and look at all of the information in each verse, which I normally like to do, but we'll kind of take an overview of chapter 18 and then most importantly ask, well, now what does this have to do with us? today? How does this affect you and I in uh, these graphic portrayals of the final judgment of Babylon? So let's take our Bibles, Revelation chapter 18, if you'll please stand and we'll look at these. Uh, It's a fairly lengthy chapter, so bear with me here, but exciting stuff um, as we read it together. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 18. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen, is Babylon the great. So that's the good news. We can say amen to that. And she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison, or haunt, of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Bird there representing demons. So this isn't an indictment of all birds. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of passion of her immorality. We saw that in chapter 17. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins and that you may not receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven. Do you think that's another symbolic uh, journey back to the Old Testament and the Tower of Babel? And God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid and give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed Mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow and will never see mourning. Quite a boastful, prideful response there. Verse 8, for this reason in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine And she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. Praise be to God for that. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and live sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. does that bring tears to your eyes? Standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore, cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon. And spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots. And look at this even slaves and human lives. And the fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment weeping and mourning. They stand at a distance. They were with her, they participated with her, but when she begins to burn up, no, I think they wanna get away from the heat, right? Saying, "Woe, woe, the great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour, such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads, and they were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, "Woe, woe! the great city, in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. It's a real pity party going on here, isn't there? You see a common thread? But then what happens? Verse 20 kind of changes the scene a little bit. So we get another voice Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints, and apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. And a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone. And historians think that that was between four and five feet in diameter, about a foot thick and maybe weighing as much as a ton and threw it into the sea saying, thus will be Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And No craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. Verse 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all who have been slain on the earth. It's like an obituary, really, for Babylon, isn't it? You may be seated. Father in heaven, there's so much here. And we can't help but wonder why you have given us two full chapters on the judgment of Babylon. Lord God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to grasp, well, what is Babylon? And why is it so important for us on this side of the rapture to understand this thing, this movement, this power, this seductress, this cultural swear named Babylon? So, Lord God, we pray that you would open our spiritual eyes this morning, that you would challenge us with your word and teach us. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the majority of of our in-person, in other words, face-to-face interactions are usually somewhat civil, polite, even accommodating. And then there are the others, the brutal truth-tellers who skip the amiable small talk and say to your face what everyone else was probably just afraid to say. You've probably been on the receiving end. I know you've been on the receiving end. There may be some statement made like this, you're not going to go out in public wearing that, are you? Or, wow, did they really charge you for that haircut? Or, tell me you are not going to throw your money away on that multi-level marketing pyramid scam. Or, come on, what kind of husband would buy that for his wife? Don't you love her? Ouch. We know well the truth can often hurt. But beyond the initial sting, how do we respond to more serious reality checks in our lives. And as believers, when the ultimate truth teller, the, the word of God applied by the Holy Spirit, calls us out, how do we react then? How do we really react? It's a good question. And I believe the verses, the 24 verses that we just looked at in Revelation chapter 18... Here being, as I just mentioned, a continuation of chapter 17. That means two chapters, 42 verses, become an an expose of Babylon and her fall and judgment can be this truth teller to you and I. As already mentioned, as it's mentioned in the last couple of weeks, Babylon represents here in chapter 17 and 18 a city as it does through the course of the Old Testament developing into the new, a kingdom, a worldwide power movement promoting everything anti-God, anti-gospel, anti-word of God. It's political. It's economical. It's spiritual, reflecting a value system primarily. And we see that brought out so much here in chapter 18 of self-gratification and pleasure. Chapter 18 is also the prelude to the battle of Armageddon, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the marriage supper of the Lamb. All those things we find in the next chapter, in chapter 19. So it's a straight talk, truth telling from four different voices that we see here in chapter 18. And I want to look at each one of these voices. So there's nothing magical about this, but there's, I see it divided kind of in voices, voices that are speaking to you and I, that spoke to John, that spoke to the original church audience. But across the ages, as the timeless word of God continues to speak to us, we need to heed these voices. What are they saying? And as I mentioned a moment ago, you can't help but wonder about why did God devote two full chapters to the fall of Babylon, with such vivid descriptions, on and on we get this information for you and I that reside on this side of the rapture. What are these voices saying to us? And that's what I would like us to consider this morning, very carefully, to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us in this truth-telling throughout chapter 18, what are these voices saying to you and I this morning? Here's the first one. A voice of worth. A voice of worth. I want you to go back to the beginning of chapter 18 and just look at the first couple of verses or verse and a half. After these things, John said, after the things that we read about last Sunday in chapter 17, I saw another angel, another meaning another angel of the same kind. So these are God's messengers um, created by him, that are commissioned by him coming down from heaven. So this is a different angel having great authority. So this angel is obviously representing God and something uh, with a a message that is very, very important. And the earth was illumined with his glory. So this is an, an angel that's speaking to the whole earth is going to have an effect on the whole earth. And he cried out with a mighty voice saying, fallen, fallen, is Babylon the Great. So the first picture that we get is a description, not of Babylon, but we get a description of another angel. And it's an interesting description. And I think this description shows us how important, how critical it is for for John to grasp for his readers to grasp, for you and I this morning to grasp, because it's like a mega spotlighted, neon encircled, pay attention. Pay attention to what I am saying. Why? Because this is the ultimate expose of who Babylon is and what Babylon did. Verse three, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her and the merchants of the earth who we read about in much more detail became rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Literally, the power of her luxury. The wealth of her sensuality, the power of her luxury. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. What power, what sway, what attraction, what lure does luxury have? By the power of her luxury. I think that's an important phrase to understand as we see the power that Babylon has over the earth. How did Babylon deceive and lure and sway all of the powers of the earth? Well, we know that she is is energized, that everything that is done is empowered by the evil one. We know that. We know that, that that whole structure of the antichrist and the, and the dragon and the beast and all of that works together. We understand that, but how is that lie so successfully promoted? The power of luxury. Just think about it. We're no strangers to that. We live in the midst of a world that we are marketed to every day of our lives. The power of luxury. Most of the things that are marketed to you and I, we don't need. Isn't that true? And if we don't need them, then they begin to inch into that separate classification of luxury. Luxury just doesn't mean all of those things. We could easily say, oh, luxury? Well, that has nothing to do with my life. I don't have that much money. I'm not wealthy. I'm not rich. But I know what that looks like. Oh, yeah, that's those super yachts and and all of these different things and fancy cars and real estate that I could never, ever afford. That is not luxury. That is the high pinnacle, the end of luxury. But luxury begins with an attitude. Luxury begins with a craving in the heart. And that craving is successfully marketed to us when, when we begin to hang on to the hook and take the bait that says this is something that you need when it's not something that we need, it's something that we want. And all marketers know that. And we are faced with that voice every single day. It's interesting, I, I couldn't find the chart, I was doing some research, but I'm sure we could come up with our own if we had the time to do that. We had a dry erase board up here where we were able to project it on the screen. But it's interesting if you go over a period of 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, all the way back 50 years, even back 100 years and you look at what people deemed at that particular time in culture as necessities. From 100 years ago versus today, what do you think you're going to find? Many differences in the list? How about 50 years ago? How about 20 years ago? It's not going to be very long ago that cell phones are not going to be on the list, that smartphones are not going to be on the list, that the Internet is not going to be on the list. And yet all of these things then begin to go over to the other side of the list, but that's how it works. Now, I'm not here to deconstruct all that and say, oh, we don't need this and we don't need that. I know arguments can be made for all of that. But we need to understand how Babylon works. The sway of luxury, the attraction of luxury. Why is that such a a powerful thing in the sense of the realm of lying and deceit? Well, it's interesting because over the years, I've dealt with many, many people that I've seen destroyed by the power of luxury. I've seen families destroyed. I sat with a man one time who's very, very wealthy and has since given his life to Jesus Christ. He's 94 years old today. I still maintain regular contact with him. I sat with him one day, and he had completely lost his family very, very wealthy, and he began to cry. And this was a guy that did not cry, who saw crying and emotion as weakness, and he began to weep. And he said, I'm only doing this in front of you. And he said, I want to tell you something honest. I would give up every cent that I have to have my family back. What happened? The power of luxury. The power of luxury destroyed his family. The power of luxury can destroy marriages. It can destroy relationships between siblings. I know a family, and I know you probably do too, whose parents were very, very wealthy and failed to leave a very specific will for their children. The parents died 20 years ago, and I know this family. The siblings still don't talk to each other. It's still in the courts. It has literally destroyed that family. The power of luxury. You think, you look at it and you say, these people are older now. They're getting old. What are they going to do with the money anyway? They still want it because it's mine. I deserve my fair share. They're going to say that till the day they die. And their lives have literally been miserable. You've seen this. This is the power, the power of luxury. Well, I said this was a voice of worth, so what does this angel show us? There's an interesting description in verse two. She has become a dwelling place of demons in a prison or a haunt of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. imagine that imagine seeing pictures of an estate maybe it's on a realtor website or something but it's a it's a phenomenal estate it's immaculate you see these pictures and it's just like that could be your dream estate oh man i could i i could be at home there you know it's got everything laid out exactly the way that you want it, and somehow, some way, you get the address, and you just entertain the idea. I'm going to go take a look. I'm just going to check it out. Because I can't believe just how much this corresponds to every dream I've ever had of home sweet home, or home, home estate sweet estate. And you pull up, and there's just a smoldering building, just in time for Halloween. A smoldering, building, smoke billowing up, bats flying around, everything stinks. There's nothing there. That's what this angel is showing us about Babylon. Oh, yeah, look at it. She's the most luxurious in all the earth. All this bill of goods that she's selling you, it is just amazing. It's everything you ever wanted. Yes, yes, go for it. Voice of the world. It'll make you more happy than you could ever be. And the angel saying, you want to know what it really looks like in reality? Babylon is fallen. This is what she is really worth. This is what she is really made of. The second voice is a voice of warning. A voice of warning. Verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, and we don't know who this voice is. We don't know if it's an angel. We don't know if it's, a, if it's God speaking directly. It's another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins and that you may not receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities a voice of warning saying, come out of her. There's a strong parallel to hear hear from back in as there are so many of these descriptions in Revelation 18. This goes back to Jeremiah chapter 51. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 6, we read, flee from the midst of Babylon and each of you save his life for this is the Lord's time of vengeance, he is going to render recompense to her. Verse 45 in that same chapter, 51, reads like this, come forth from her midst my people, and each of you save yourselves from the fierce anger of the Lord. The warning coming out, what is coming out Mean in the context of what we're looking at here, not participating in her sins. Literally, not participating, not having a partnership or fellowship with her sins. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word partnership? You might think of synonyms like sharing or association or being on the same team or having the same values. What are her sins? As we read in verses 5 through 8, the voice from heaven tells us that she has glorified herself, that she is living sensuously and luxuriously for her own pleasure, resulting in, as we just talked about a few moments ago when we first read through these verses, resulting in self-sufficient pride, she deems herself as the untouchable queen. I am not a widow. I am never going to mourn. Isn't that what happens? It's like a math equation here. Self-gratification plus the pursuit of pleasure equals pride. Right? Self-sufficiency. I don't need God. Remember, Babylon is anti-God. It's anti-word of God. It's everything God is not. And so the drive is always going to be to get you to the place of self-sufficiency, self-gratification, luxury, all of those different things where you have no more needs all your needs are realized, getting you to a place of self-sufficiency as the ultimate anti-God, as the queen sits there and says, I will never die, I will never mourn. That's what luxury does. I've actually met people who had quite a bit, claimed to be believers, and have actually made the form of the statement, you know, I just don't know what I need from God. And I have a feeling that there are many more out there that while they might not articulate that statement out loud, it is the attitude of their hearts. What do I need? I have everything. What do I need from God? And so more and more they begin to walk on this track from God-dependent to self-dependence. And that is the lie of the enemy, that is the lie of Babylon, that is the lie of the lure of luxury. Let's look at the third voice. A voice of or, to say it more accurately, voices of weeping. And so this is a long section. We won't go through it verse by verse again. Verses 9 through 19, it's 11 verses, but there are repeated words. There are three groups and there are repeated words. Let's look at the repeated words first because I'm sure you got a sense, you got a notion of what's going on here. Four times we have the word weep, one time the word lament, mourning is used three times, crying is used two times, and the double woe is used by all three groups. The three groups representing first, the kings of the earth who we had met before. We meet them again in verse nine, who commit all of the acts of immorality with her. So all of the authority groups in the world. Second, the merchants of the earth in verse 11, the ones who are selling, and then the ones who are shipping, the Amazons of the sea, the shipmasters, the passengers, the sailors, all introduced to us in verse 17. Notice all of these things that they are carrying, all the things on their manifest that are listed. Why did God put these here? I think so that you and I would notice that all these things are luxury-type items. They're not necessarily needs. We could make a case for some of them and say, well, I really need that. I need things like you know, olive oil and, and wheat and cattle and sheep. But most of those things and would have been understand understood by John's initial audience, first century audience, would be much more in the classification of desires and luxury and not necessarily needs. You have to remember even in an agriculture, society that things like cattle, you didn't eat beef every day. We live in a different world today. They didn't have refrigeration. When you butchered a, a cow or even a sheep, it was usually for some kind of event because you had to use all of that meat at that time. So things more like chicken or fish, God made more obviously for one meal, right? Unless it was a very, very big fish or a huge chicken. Uh, Turkey, something like that, or some other kind of larger fowl. But so these items, even though today we would look at those as staples in many, many ways, they were also in the category of something very special and something very expensive. And then we even have the human cargo issue, which just shows how far this thing goes, that there is no value on human life, and we're already feeling that today in our own society, not only in the abortion arena, but also just the devaluing of human life. As the crime rate goes up and violence goes up and violent assault, and all these things begin to be more commonplace, the value of human life goes down. So it should not surprise us that these human slaves are all here and this whole list here makes up this consumerism treadmill now interesting they're all wailing right it's a pretty descriptive picture over and over again all three groups I mean it's like man they are really upset they are bawling their eyes out right I mean they are just so upset why do you think they're crying Why do you think they're so upset? They're not wailing because they're about to become permanent residents of hell. They're wailing because they lost business and their fun card was just taken away. Right? They were enjoying an elevated lifestyle and an economic upturn that seemed to have no end. And we all know now... Over the last couple of years, much more things that we have taken for granted, like the supply chain, how those things can work, and once they're disrupted, how things can quickly fall apart. Things that we have taken for granted, we have seen that when one person is taken out of the supply chain or, or half a dozen different companies are taken out of the supply chain or there is something to disrupt manufacturing over here and trucking over here and shipping over here, the economy quickly begins to collapse. People aren't able to produce the goods that they once produced they, or they sit idly on a lot missing one significant part unemployment goes up, everything is affected. That's what's happening here at Babylon. Babylon's gone. The demand for luxury overnight in one hour. Now, I believe that's symbolic, but remember we're talking about a a three-and-a-half-year period. It's over. It's over. Nobody's going to buy your luxury goods anymore because, well, most of those people are going to be missing anyway. Remember, with all the, the plagues and the different things and the judgments that take place, the, the uh, cycle of the three different judgments that take place, most of the customers are going to be gone. But also, the whole system is collapsing by God's judgment. It's collapsing. How should listening to their crying as we read this chapter and their woeing affect us as believers? And what does it tell us? What does it tell us about the business of luxury? It's something to think about. Does it last? What is it really? Where does the drive and the desire come from? We see the reaction of those who are involved on the other side, the business side, the part that you and I may not have all the exposure to. We're more on the buying side. We see the reaction. It's a sobering thing, isn't it, as believers? Remember, why is God telling us all this? He's telling you and I, right now, this morning, he's telling us a lot of information. chapter 17 and 18 about Babylon, about this movement, about these cultural values, about something that is very active in our world today and only increasing in influence. The spirit of the Antichrist is now in our world, John tells us. Let's look at the last voice, because the last voice is real different. The last voice is a voice of worship, verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven. All of a sudden, we just get this inserted in the, in the middle of this 19-verse this lament and, and graphic description. And then we have in verse 20, rejoice. The verse begins with the word rejoice. Over her, rejoice over her. Who? O heaven, and you saints, or literally holy ones, and apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. So who is this voice in verse 20? Well, it's likely the same voice as as verse 4 from heaven, telling us now to rejoice, to worship with joy, because God's people are vindicated. The wicked system that opposed God at every turn and eventually came after them has come to an end remember those who would not take the mark of the beast the 666 could not buy or sell all of that that the attempt of the merchants of the earth empowered by babylon and that whole system that threatened to extinguish christianity from the earth all of that is now being vindicated Verse 21, we have the interesting phrase at the end of that verse, and will not be found any longer. That says it pretty straight, doesn't it? There's the ultimate truth teller. And will not be found any longer. So why do we get all this information in the book of Revelation? Well, think about this. God, in his marvelous grace, has given us a truth-telling, advance preview. He's given us a preview of where all of this is headed. Who are the true winners? Who are the eternal losers? He's showing us what Babylon is really made of ahead of time. And just like with the imagery of the real estate, I want you to think about this for a moment. Because God is, God is helping us. He's giving us a grace picture by telling us the truth. Imagine going to your favorite restaurant. Your favorite really nice sit-down restaurant. Maybe one that you don't go to very often because you really can't afford it. But you're going there tonight. Sunday night, you're going you're gonna to go to your favorite restaurant. They have white tablecloths, they have fresh flowers on the table, they have candle, they have a guy that walks around with a guitar. It's a nice place. It's got a great reputation. It's a five-star restaurant. And you're there. And you love the food. And all the reviews are five-star reviews. you need to go to the restroom. So you head back to the restroom and the the door to the kitchen is actually parallel to the restroom door. So somebody's already in the bathroom, so you're waiting in the hallway. And somebody comes through the kitchen door and it gets stuck open. And so while you're just standing there against the wall in the hallway waiting for the person in the restroom to get out, you have a clear view of what's going on in the kitchen. And you can't believe it. There's mold on everything. There's dirty pots and pans and dishes piled up on on every surface, including the floor. There's food, bits of food all over the floor and on the counters and old food and squished food and nasty food and moldy food. And on top of that, all of the cooks are sick, they're coughing, they're, they're hacking away, they're, their noses are running, and they sound terrible. And you're standing there taking that all in. Now, you're going to head to the restroom after the person gets out ahead of you, and you're just going to go back to your table and act as though nothing is different. What kind of effect is that going to have on your meal? What kind of effect is that going to have on your appetite? Really? Something's going to change. I mean, you're you're appalled. You're You're going to get up if you don't feel sick already. I mean, you just lost your appetite. You're going to get out of there, and you're probably never going to go to that restaurant again. And likely you're going to complain to the management and something is going to happen, but you are not going to eat there tonight. Correct? Oh, I sure hope so. (laughs) Revelation chapter 17 and 18 is an open door into that restaurant. God is giving us a peek behind the scenes. He is saying, this is what it looks like on the outside everything you ever wanted. It's happiness. It's luxury. It's your dream. It's your desire. It's what you want. It is what you have always wanted. It's your retirement. It's your bank account. It's everything. It's that new something or other, that trip that you want to go on. It's all of those things. But he's saying, come here. I want to show you Behind the scenes, because I want to show you where this is all going to end up. You now, is that an indictment of every nice thing we could ever want? Absolutely not. God has created many of these things. It's an indictment of the lure, it's an indictment of the lie, of the poll. And the lure makes you a promise. The lure says, If you do this, if you devote your life to this, if you spend most of your time in pursuit of this, I will make you happy. And God in his grace is saying, no. No. Refuse. Restrain yourself. Come out of her. Isn't that what he says? He warns by grace, come out of her. Get away now while you can. Truth hurts. It's that truth teller speaking the truth to us, the word of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So how are you doing? Now you well know I'm not speaking of a legalism. I'm not speaking of a judgment that says, Christians, you can't have anything nice. I'm not going to stand up here and make that kind of argument. And if you think that's what I'm doing, you have misunderstood. What I am saying is we need to individually take stock of where our hearts are in regards to what we feel we really need versus what we really want we need to ask seriously the truth teller, the ultimate authoritative truth teller, the question, how am I leaning, Lord? Am I a leaning more toward being a citizen of heaven or being a citizen of Babylon? Why not just ask the truth? Lord, tell me the truth. Is there anything in my life that is pulling me more toward participating as a citizen of Babylon that could be dangerous for me spiritually? Because remember, God is giving us a preview. He spent two chapters warning us in graphic pictures and language, showing us how this is all going to end. It's going to crash and burn literally but burn forever. This is the end result. Thank Him for that. That's gracious. How are we doing? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your word and we thank You that You tell us the truth. You don't mince words, we do. We do it often. We rationalize, we, we play with words, we try to justify things that shouldn't be justified. And Lord God, I just ask that we would be honest with you this morning, that we would ask the question, am I, am I acting more like a citizen of heaven or a citizen of Babylon? That you would tell us the truth. Again, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that Jesus has conquered all of this. That we can come out of Babylon because you have told us to come out. You have invited us to come out by your grace. We thank you for that. These are tough words, Lord, but we thank you for telling us the truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.